welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Today on Humans and Magic, we're talking to none other than Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa, or PV. This guy needs no introduction. I mean, he is a Hall of Famer, the youngest Hall of Famer ever inducted. He has had 10 Pro Tour Top 8s, one of which he's won and 17 Grand Prix top eights, two of which he's won. I mean, to put it simply, PV is just, he's a household name in Magic, and I could not have been more happy to have him on the show. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about his family background. We talked about his love of games, like Magic and even Bridge. We talked about a gamut of things. We talked about his writing. We talked about breakthrough moments. We talked about things he's learned playing the game. And, man, the guy's just had such an amazing track record, but he's been able to articulate himself so well, and he's been very honest in our talk about why he does things, why he writes, why he plays magic, why he chooses to invest in certain things, what being rich means to him, what fame means to him, what the scene in Brazil is like, what the future of the game is like, even questions like, Tell me about how the commentating request with uh, Wizards of the Coast went down. He answered everything, and we had a great talk. Originally, before the, the call, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like talking to PV, but after the talk, I am more convinced now, more than ever, that he is one of the greatest players of Magic and is also just an amazing human being. So, hope you enjoyed this interview with PV. Let's get right to it. So today on the show, we have a very special guest. I am talking to Paulo Vitor Demo de Rosa, or PV, the well-esteemed Hall of Famer and extremely strong magic writer. So, Paulo, how are you? Good, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you for making the time to be on the show. Yeah, no problem. So, how are things going for you lately? Yeah, they, they're going all right. I'm on sort of a break right now between sets, between tournaments. But in about 10 days, I'll be going to Australia to practice for the PT. So that should be fun. Ah, so you have a little bit of time off. Uh, what do you usually do when you are not, when you have that bit of a mini break? Um, generally nothing specific. Like I watch a lot of TV shows. I read a lot of books. I play a lot of games. I hang out with my friends. Uh, it's basically vacation, I guess. Except my vacation is actually at home. <laughs> it's a little bit different from everybody else where it's a little bit like it's reversed. But that's really cool. So 
I kind of want to start from the beginning. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your family background and where you grew up and just kind of start from the beginning of your life, I guess. Okay, so I was born in Porto Alegre, Brazil. It's a, a big city in the south of Brazil, has about 2 million people. I've lived there all my life. I'm 28 now. Uh, my mom's a biologist, and but she doesn't practice biology. And my dad's an economist, but he's retired. They don't live together. They split up when, when I was a little bit younger, and I live with my mom. Which is, for some people in the U.S., a bit weird that you're 28 and you're living with your mother. But for, for Brazil, it's quite common. Normally, you only move out if you're getting married or if you're going to study somewhere else. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have two brothers. They're only half-brothers. They're my, my father's kids. Uh, we actually have three different mothers. So they're, they're older than me because my father is much older. Uh, one of them is, I want to say, 45. And the other is 33. We, we have a good relationship. We're not like super close like most siblings are because we don't live together. We have different mothers, but we're still close enough, I would say. Are you still uh, fairly close with your, your dad? Oh, uh, not a lot. Like, I'm, I'm very close with my mother, not as close with my dad. Uh, it's not that there's anything wrong specifically. It's just I don't talk to him that often. How did you first get into gaming? I'm going to guess Magic is probably not your first game. So as you were growing up with your, your family, how did you get exposed to gaming for the first time? Uh, I think most of it was just my own initiative in, in terms of Magic. Uh, I think oh, I started playing Magic when I was really young. I was eight years old. But before that, I you know I always liked games with my friends. But you know they were kids' games, and my family used to play cards sometimes. They would play I don't know the name of the games in in English, but stuff like Gin or whatever. And I would watch, and I would want to play. So they taught me how to play, and I played with them, and I really liked it. And it was obvious that I liked it more than they did because for them it was just, you know, well, let's do that and then, yeah, let's stop doing that. And I really, really liked it. I went into it all the time. So I found this game that that had to do with, you know, it was a card game, which I already knew I liked, and it had to do with dragons and sorcery, which, which I also liked. So uh, I read about it in a magazine and I asked my mom about it and then she called the magazine and found out where I could buy those cards. And that's how I started playing. I, I wouldn't really say I had, you know, my family had a gaming culture. It's just something that I really like for some reason. So you kind of took the initiative early, which is not that common for a lot of people. Have, have you, do you feel like you've always been very much like, I, I know what I want or, or what I know what I want to do or I know where I want to be? Eh, not particularly. Like, I, I wouldn't say that really describes me. Just... I don't know, just something I did, and it sounded interesting, so I went after it. Okay, so tell me about that. So that was about 20 years ago, and uh, what set, do you remember what set Magic was at that time? Homelands was the latest set, because I remember I bought, yeah, I bought a booster of Homelands. <laughs> Very nice. So your mom found out where the cards could be bought, you, you bought a pack, um, how did you start playing with, you know, others and with friends like how did you start actually playing the game from buying the game buying the pack to playing the game well she, my mom took me and my friend to the store and we bought you know we bought a deck and that pack and then we just played against each other and at some point we taught our other friends how to play from school and I played at school and eventually I started going to the store and meeting new people who played and my friends from school kind of quit playing but I just continued 
Was it pretty common for people that are young to go to the card store and play play Magic or games at that time? No, not at all. Uh, I was by far the youngest person there, and my mom would always go with me and wait there because you know I was so young and she had no idea who those people were. She just she barely knew them, so she would just go to the store with me and stay for hours. Which so I, I owe her a lot when it comes to magic. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I was. It took a very long time before I found someone who was younger than me or as old as me playing magic. Yeah. Did you ever feel that if you were the youngest person there, that like, did you feel any any kind anything when you played your opponents, or did you feel that they perceived you in a certain way? Not really. Uh, I feel like in magic. There's not that much age difference, you don't really notice it. Like you see our, our PT team, for example, it has people that are, you know, 35 years old and it has people that are 20 years old. And it doesn't really feel like you're dealing with two people that are in radically different, uh, radically different phases of their life, which I guess they're not, but, but which you would feel in any other place. You know, I can't imagine uh, a place that where a 20 year old and a 35 year old would be equals in the eyes of everybody. And in Magic, you, you do have that. So, I, I don't think I ever felt weird. There was only one time where I, I know a guy tried to cheat me in a national tournament. And I'm pretty sure he tried it because I was young. And he actually succeeded because I was young. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the only situation I can remember. How did you feel when you felt that, when you knew that you got cheated? Like, did, did, did it change you in some way? Or change your, your vigilance towards cheating? Or... Uh, I don't think so. It was just very frustrating. And it was not, not only that I was younger, I was also from a different place. And that guy was from, you know, the main city, so he thought he could get away with everything. And he was right, he did get away with it. So, I mean, I guess it made me feel very frustrated and powerless, but it didn't really change my attitude towards anything. Yeah, so how did you make that transition from playing Magic to playing in your first tournaments? So the first tournament I went to, uh, I just I didn't know there was going to be a tournament. I just went to the store to play like I normally did. And then they told me, oh, there's going to be a tournament at this different store, this different location, same store but different place. Do you want to come? I said, yeah. So they fixed my deck. They removed some cards that weren't legal for the tournament. And I played. But it didn't really change anything. You know, it was just fun. Then I started playing more and more tournaments. And eventually, there started being tournaments with prizes. I think that was when we started having a PTQ. So it was like, oh, this, this tournament is really worth something. And then we would have a schedule. We'd be like, oh, there's a block PTQ in two months. That people would just prepare two months for their tournament. And it was very different than in the U.S. In the U.S., you have, you know, or you used to have like 50 PTQs or whatever. It wasn't really a big deal. But for us, we, we got you know, three tournaments a year. And so those are all determined. Those are all be prepared for. Did you? I'm trying to understand when did you have early success in tournament magic? Did it happen for you right away? Did it happen as the PTQs came around, or was it before the PTQs? Just trying to understand how it was like for you as a competitive player in the beginning. So it was definitely not right away. Uh, at first, I just lost constantly. I think the time I started doing well was around Invasion Block, which was in 2000. Uh, that's when I started playing in Magic League. It was an online league that we played with on Apprentice. And we used IRC to play. And then I started talking to other people who played in different countries, you know. And it just, 
FLA gave me an outlet because we didn't really have anything going on here and I didn't really follow the internet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I started getting competitive. I started going after, you know, tournament results in other places. I started finding out what kind of decks were good. Mm-hmm. And that's really when I started doing well in local tournaments. Right. And so the implication here is that the local scene didn't have much to offer you personally in terms of leveling up or learning to get better at the game. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's. I mean, it, it definitely helped me because I was so bad when I started and it got me to a certain point, but I feel like it really kept very quickly because, you know, there weren't that many people and the tournaments weren't that serious. Like, there was one guy who was also, who also played a lot and we would, he would go to my house, we would play in his online leagues and then prepare together for tournaments. But yeah, other than him, I guess, most people just didn't take it that seriously or just weren't good enough. So there's definitely a cap on how far I felt like it could advance just playing with the local people. And you really had a desire to get better at that time, right? It wasn't as much the desire to get better. It was just, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed being better. You know, this I thought this game is more fun when I'm better. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really driven by some desire to be the best, you know? I just want to be happy, and, <laughs> and at the time, you know, doing well in those tournaments made me happy, and, you know, having a better deck and beating people, that made me happy, so I wanted to do it. Right. Other than the friend who was playing the league with you, were there other people, either online or offline, that really helped your development as a player? I mean, yeah, for sure. Even after I became a pro player, there were a lot of people that helped my development. I don't feel like I, uh, you know, I, I picked and then stopped learning. Sure. I'm just wondering about sort of the earlier stages of your your magic career. Yeah, there was a guy. He was he was the son of the store owner, and he helped me a lot. And then there was this friend who I who I played with competitively, and there were you know there were some other people I practiced with that also helped. And a lot of the people in Magic League, the, the online league, were also, I would say, instrumental. There, there were a lot of people who, who were super important. Can you give me just a few examples of, not the people specifically, but what are some of the things that they helped you with in the beginning? Uh, okay, so the, the guy that was the, the store owner's son, he helped me with everything you know, logistically. He was a little bit older. So when I went to my first tournaments, he would take care of me. He would stay with me in rooms, and so he would talk to my mom about it and stuff like that. And he would, you know, lend me cards sometimes and and all this kind of thing. And the people online, especially the people who didn't live in Brazil, they would tell me about, you know, oh, so this was the tournament. This was the deck that won our GPT in my, you know, in New York or whatever because they lived in New York, for example. And it was something I would never have access to if it wasn't for those people. So I would I would look at those decks and try to change something. Uh, there were the people who would, who would do place test with me on Apprentice. Uh, we would just talk about magic and this kind of thing, you know, just a lot of different types of help. Okay, so it was like information exposure, but it was also just practice and experience and helping you get more experience, right? Yeah, and they also help with my English a lot, which I think is important if you want to be a magic player. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that because your your English is uh, really quite fluent and it, it comes through both in your in your speaking and, and your writing. 
Yeah, I, it's just I've been talking to people who speak English for so long, and I've been reading, you know, talking to them and getting my English to be better. Uh, and when I say talking, I mean just writing because we use IRC. But but basically, you know, communicating with them made me able to read uh, pages that were in English, for example, that not everyone could read at the time, and that I probably wouldn't have been able to read because I was so young if it wasn't for those people. If it wasn't for this Magic League, right? So you play magically, you start getting more into that. Was there a particular point where you sort of realized that you were quote unquote on the map when it came to magic? Like, was there a particular major first achievement that you had where you thought, "I kind of made it as a as a magic player," <laughs> if you will? Well, there are, there are a lot of different thresholds that I felt that I feel I've reached. Uh, one of them was when I was invited to my first PT. It was Worlds in 2003 in Berlin. Uh, back then, you, you could get invited by being one of the top Latin American players. And I did so well consistently in my hometown that I, I was sometimes the first, second, or third uh, ranked player in Latin America, even though I had never done well in a major event. So I, never, I didn't win nationals, but I was qualified anyway. And people had no idea who I was because I was just that kid from a different city. And a lot of people thought I faked tournaments because you know they're like, oh, how can this person get such a high rating just playing in this town where no one knows anybody or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, there were no, the good people were, the core of the, the Magic players in Brazil were from Sao Paulo and Rio, which are the two major cities. And then I was for a different city and people thought, oh, you know, that's just not possible. They thought I was just faking tournaments. That was the first time that I would say I got on the map because I went to the tournament with those people and I did well. I top 64 in the tournament, so that was cool. Um, then after that, I would say probably my first PT top 8. It was in Charleston in 2006. Uh, it was a team event. I played it really on Salsa. And that was probably the point where I got, I was on the map for everybody, not just Brazil. Because I remember I watched my the coverage of those matches and I would hear a lot of, you know, the, the commentators would be like, oh, you probably don't know who this person is, but he has done well in this, this, and this tournament. And so the commentators didn't know who I was either, but when they they went through my story, my history, they found that I had done well, you know, the, the previous three PTs or the previous four PTs in the GP and whatnot. So that was basically when I became known. Right. And it sounds like it's not only you on the map, but it's also your country, right? Because I would assume that for many people who have a Eurocentric or North American-centric view, that they really don't know too much about players coming out of your region. Yeah, they still don't. I mean, I would say what put us in the region wasn't me, it was Carlos. Carlos won Worlds in 2002, so he was the first Brazilian to have a big result. And then one of his teammates from, from Argentina also top him in the same tournament. So that was really when our region was put on the map. But yeah, the fact that I, we also did well in the team event definitely helped. Yeah, that was some kind of validation, I think. Yeah. Okay. And going back up slightly, when you played in your first Pro Tours um, back in 2003 and whatnot, did you ever feel nervous actually playing in events like that? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I feel nervous right now. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, it's the kind of thing, you know, oh, you're so excited about it, you don't sleep very well because 
I used to feel like that before pre-releases too, but obviously it's different uh, when you're going to a major tournament. It is, yeah, I, I mean, it's worth a lot, it's very important, and you want to be the best you can be, but you know it's very hard. So yeah, I definitely get nervous. I get less nervous now because, you know, it doesn't really depend. My life doesn't depend on how well I do. But in the first tournaments I went to, I thought if I don't know well in this tournament, I'm just not going to come to another one. So it was, it was, yeah, I was very nervous. And I got to play against all those people that I only knew about. You know, nowadays I know everybody. I've talked to those people. They're my, some are my friends, some aren't, but I still know them. They're real people to me. But before, the first time I saw them, they were just names that I recognized. It's very intimidating. Right. And they didn't know who you were in the beginning. They thought you were some person who made up uh, tournament records to get there or something. <laughs> yeah, those were the Brazilian people. Uh, the, the foreign people just had no idea who I was, obviously. Sure. I mean, you were just an un unknown uh, individual at the time. And uh, okay, it's really interesting because you said that in the beginning, you didn't know if you were going to come back if you didn't do well. Um, did you really think that, okay, I, I needed to top 8 this Pro Tour or 64 this Pro Tour, or I would just stop playing? Like, I'm trying to understand the, your thought process behind that. It wasn't exactly that. It was, you know, the first time I went, uh, Wizards of the Coast, sorry, the year which is which represented the Wizards of the Coast in Brazil, it was the company that distributed Magic in Brazil. They, they offered to pay for it, for everyone who was qualified. Not just me, everyone. So they pay for a plane ticket, they pay for a hotel. And it was something that I thought, if it wasn't for them paying, I wouldn't be able to do. Because uh. we just didn't have the money back then. It was very expensive. I was very young. I obviously didn't have my own money. And you know, my family just couldn't afford for me to start traveling to Germany to play a game. Yeah. But since they were paying, uh, I went there. Mm -hmm. And and I did well. I got I top sixty four. I got five hundred dollars, which was a lot for a Brazilian kid who was fifteen and wasn't doing anything. Mm -hmm. And it kind of showed me, you know, oh, so you know, there is prize money to begin. It's possible for me to do well. So maybe I can actually go to another one of those things, even if they don't pay. Mm -hmm. Because the first time I went, it didn't feel like it was the beginning of something. You know, it just felt like okay, I'm going to this tournament, and that's it. Because they're paying this instrument, they're paying for. And once I actually made money and started doing well, I realized, well, I can actually go through those things on my own because I can justify doing that. That's what, what it changed. Got it. So it's more of a practical consideration because you were effectively being sponsored in the beginning. Yes. Okay. And I guess it worked out. You, you were winning and then you got to go to another one and you sort of were able to, to fund that. Yeah, yeah. And it was very important too because back then, uh, PTQs didn't give you plane tickets. They gave you, you know, a five hundred dollar uh, appearance fee or two boxes. And most of the time, people from where I live just took the boxes because five hundred dollars was simply not enough. Like you would pay, you know, over twice that just for the plane ticket. And uh, dollar is worth a lot in Brazil. We're not a poor country, but like right now, for example, uh, a dollar is for three and a half like reais, which is our currency. So some of the things are really much more expensive when when you're paying dollars. Sure. So yeah, the fact that they paid for that was huge, and that I would get a prize money in dollars too was also huge. Right. Was there a particular point here, like as you're maybe playing the PT or even PTs or even before that, that you really felt like okay, I'm I'm really committed to Magic as a 
as maybe more than a hobby. Like it's going to be more than just something I do on the weekends. Um, was it during the PTs as you won a couple or before that? I'm just trying to understand. I don't think there was ever a point where I had to, you know, consciously think that and make a decision. Uh, because I started playing so young, it was always such a huge part of my life that it was a very natural transition. Like Magic started being my job before I got to the point where I had to have a job. So I had I had I didn't have to decide do I want to do this for a living or not. I was just doing it because I didn't need to do anything for a living at that point. I was studying. You know, I was very young. And then when we got to the point where I needed to do something for a living, I need to make my own money, I already had that thing. So I don't know, I guess I never really thought about it. I just I just did what I like to do and it happened to also be a job, which I, at the time I didn't need. You know, I didn't stop my life for it. I, I kept studying and I you know, I, I went to college and stuff like that and it all worked out and it's it's what I like to do, but I don't I don't feel like I had I never felt like I had to commit to it. You know, it was just I was doing what I like to do and it was enough. Right. I still have to ask though, why magic? Because you striking as someone who has a lot of interests and different hobbies and quite well rounded, so why magic instead of other games or hobbies? Well magic was the first that I really played seriously and because of that I think it's the one I'm the best at. So I have other games that I play that I feel like I'm good at, but it's different. I feel like in Magic, I've already, I work through the point, you know when you're starting a job, you're an intern, mm -hmm. and then you start going up and up and up, eventually you, you become a manager or whatever. I feel like in Magic, I went through the intern phase without even realizing it, because that was where I was supposed to be, you know, I was so young. And then I just kind of followed the natural progression of my magic career with my life, with where I was supposed to be at the time. Whereas for other things, I discovered then when I was much older. So I would have to go through that intern phase while already being a partner at something else. So the fact that magic was the first and it made me accustomed to a certain lifestyle, to having certain rewards for my preparation, made it harder to commit fully to those other games. Because with then I would have to start in the beginning and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as famous or as rewarded or as good as I am in Magic. And I don't really want to go through that process again when I'm already good at something. Because now I, I know the difference between the two stages. And when I started, I didn't. So it didn't make a difference. Does that make sense? It does make sense. You, you sort of unconsciously started that, to use your analogy, like a career progression or a level up process. And now that you know that you, you had to do that, it's hard to do that and start over at the bottom as an intern for other games. Is that fair? To, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's like saying you know you were a top doctor or whatever. You have a clinic, but then you also because you just happen to be, you know, if, out of it's an accident. But you are that doctor. You have all the experience and all those resources. But then you can also become a liar and you like law. But you would have to start as an intern in a law firm, and you would take another ten years to get to a point as a lawyer where you are as a doctor already. So you don't want to do that. So even though you, you like practicing law, you're not going to make that your career because you already have one. You don't, you don't need to. Right. Absolutely. I can relate to that. So having said that, though, I am wondering if there are particular points for you in your magic playing life or career where you felt that you felt doubtful about continuing to play magic. Has that ever crossed your mind? 
Yeah, it, it, it happened about three years ago. It was a point where I wasn't doing well at all. Uh, I was, you know, I, I'd been platinum for six to eight years, platinum or equivalent, which is the highest level you can get sure. in the magic. And then I was silver in a year. And the next year I was silver again. And being, going from platinum to silver is really hard. Like when you're qualified for everything, it's really hard to at least not reach gold. So I had to do particularly badly, and I did. <laughs> okay. Right, and I thought, and I thought, well, maybe this is not what I'm supposed to do. You know, maybe uh, I should be trying to do something else. Maybe I'm not good anymore, or maybe being good doesn't matter anymore. Or you know, I thought it was two years. It's very hard to be unlucky for two years. There had to be something going on, and that kind of created a spiral where I felt like, you know, I feel I felt like what happened was that I got unlucky for a certain period of time. And that made me, that demotivated me. Because I thought, oh, well, I'm practicing, but I'm not winning anyway. I'm listening to people who are worse than me. So why am I spending my time practice? I'll just show up like those people and hopefully I'll get lucky like them. And then obviously I lost more and more because I became worse. Mm -hmm. And that kind of created a snowball where I, I kept doing badly, but at the same time I didn't really want to practice because I thought I was doing badly because I was, I thought I wouldn't be rewarded for practicing. So I didn't practice and obviously I did worse. So at the end of those two years, I thought maybe it is not what I'm supposed to do. But then I started doing well again, and then I'm doing well again. So how did you end up doing well? Because I mean, I because you you, you said yourself you you kind of spiraled into uh, less than ideal habits because of some bad luck. But how did you climb out of that? I think it was the opposite. I think I got lucky. And then I got lucky in a tournament, and I did well in that tournament. It was PT Brussels, where we had uh, the Asprey deck. You know, I feel like I played well, but not particularly well, and my result was good. I top 16, and then I, I immediately did well at a GP after that, and won a GP after that. Mm. So had, I, think, I think I was lucky then, just like I wasn't lucky before, but it showed me that I, I really like doing well. So I was, I was missing, you know, for two years, I only dealt with failure basically. And I was like, well, I feel really bad when this happens. I don't want to do it anymore. But then getting lucky again uh, showed me how, how good I feel when the good things happen. So it made me realize that, well, it's actually worth dedicating for because I really like how I feel when I do well in those things. So you would define failure as like losing more than winning? Well, not necessarily losing more than winning, uh, just losing in general. Like, it, the way I feel is that I have a cushion, because I, I know Magic has luck in it, and I know I'm also not the best player, I make mistakes, so I don't expect to win every tournament. But I expect to do well in some of the tournaments, based on how much I practice and how good I am. So I have a cushion. For example, I've done really well in the last year. So if I were to do badly for the next couple months, that wouldn't make me feel bad, because I would just think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just my average, I'll do well some things and badly in other things. But I felt like after two years, I lost the cushion already. So I was kind of, you know, okay, so is this the time where I do well again? And it was just never that time. And it kept piling up defeat after defeat. And that's why I felt like a failure, because I had all the bad parts with none of the good parts. And right now I'm having just the good parts. So when the bad parts come, and I'm sure they will eventually, uh, I'll have a big cushion of happiness. <laughs> you have a happiness quota or, or balance that you can draw from. Yeah, so I'll be able to, you know, withstand it. And but if it lasts for a whole year, then maybe that'll be gone again. So you seriously thought about stepping away when you had that bad run? Yeah, I did. 
And I thought about doing other things, and you know, sometimes you see other people. Magic has, I feel like magic has a ceiling. You know, there's only so far you can only climb so far in magic. And I felt like I haven't reached that ceiling yet, but for a lot of things I have, you know, it's it's like I'm in a company and I'm already the president. Let's say there's nowhere else to climb. And then I see people around me who are actually climbing to greater heights and having other things. For example, I see people playing Hearthstone and playing a tournament that gives you more money. And then those people stream for, you know, 30,000s of people. And when I stream, I stream for 300 people. So sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be doing something else. Maybe I should just get, you know, a normal job and try to climb the ladder on that and eventually maybe become super rich or not. Or maybe I should play something like Hearthstone, which is new, but maybe gives you other possibilities. But then I realized that um, what I like about magic is the freedom it gives me. And I think no other job gives me that. So I've kind of accepted that I'm where I, where I want to be. You know, uh, Even if I can't climb much higher, uh, I live a good life. And I feel like a big part of that is because I can do whatever I want. You know, I practice when I want. I can, I can just play League of Legends for ten hours if I want to, or I can watch a TV show for ten hours, or I can do absolutely nothing. And the only thing I have to do is write an article a week and then practice for the PTs. So it's something that when I started looking at other people who work, they don't have the luxury. Like even League of Legends players, for example, oh, Bjergsen streams for thirty thousand people is super rich. He is, and I would like to be super rich too. But at the same time, do I want to have to stream for 10 hours a day? I don't think I do. So <laughs> I'm actually in a very good place with magic right now. But at, at the time, after those two years, I was only thinking, wow, Bjergsen is super rich and I'm, I'm never going to be super rich. And that bothered me. But I didn't realize how much he worked in a way that I don't want to work. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've made my peace with magic. You know? Uh, I understand it has pros and cons, but the pros are really very good for me because it's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm just not going to find another job. Right. So you don't feel obligated to, like, I have to show up in front of 30,000 people and do something. And that in in itself is very freeing, right? You can play video games for 10 hours. You can do nothing for 10 hours, right? Yeah. And, you know, I can do everything I want or nothing. It really doesn't matter. I have so much freedom compared to basically anyone else I know who has a job. Hmm. Okay, so is it fair to say that you are not thinking so much of the being super rich, like, like, or you feel like this is better than being super rich is being being free or or having less obligations? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that right now. It's not how I always thought, which is why I thought about quitting because I thought the benefits weren't worth what I was missing, you know, which is the potential. Um. But, yeah, I think right now it's fair to say that, that, yeah, that I I value the freedom more than money. Sure. And having freedom means that you can do things that you like. And I know you play other games as well. So can you briefly kind of just talk me through what are some of the other things other than magic that you're you're into right now? So I play a lot of things, Uh, most of them for fun. You know, I play League of Legends a lot. I watch it a lot too. I actually watch it a lot more than I play, but I'm really into it. You know, I know who everybody is. I know what our champions are. And I'm really into it, even though I'm not very good. Um, 
I also play a bunch of single-player games that I like, such as Baldur's Gate 2 and Heroes 3, which are kind of old games, but I still play because I have fun. Uh, and I play Bridge, which is another card game. Uh, Bridge I've actually played semi-competitively. Uh, I went to the Junior World, Junior World Championship once, uh, representing Brazil. Mm-hmm. But that was the only big tournament I went to, and it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like it's ever going to be a profession for me. It's just something that I do for fun that I happen to go to this tournament. But yeah, it's something that I play regularly. I go basically every week to the club right. and play. So you do seem to play bridge quite frequently. Why do you feel like it could never be a profession? Well, I just feel like I would have to dedicate so much, and I can't because of magic. It's not that I wouldn't like to leave as a bridge professional. Is that I don't feel like you can be both a magic professional and a bridge professional. And I'm already one of those things, so there's no point in trying to change. You know, people who play bridge have been playing bridge for a very long time. There are some people who've been playing competitively for over 50 years, and I would have to work very hard to be as good as those people. Sure. How, how did you start playing bridge, by the way? Just a friend of my mom's uh, played bridge, and she knew I played. I liked card games, so she introduced me to it. And I, I watched the tournament. Then I took some classes on, you know, started learning it and did some research and just started playing, started going to the club. I was, I was already much older though. It was like, I don't know, seven years ago or whatever. Are there things between, are there any similarities or parallels you would draw between Bridge and Magic as games? Uh, some things. Bridge is very different because, uh, well, in Magic you work with incomplete information, which is you don't know what the top card of your deck is, for example. So. You can't prepare for everything. Uh, in bridge, you all all the cards in the deck are in play, so you don't know who has each card, but you know they're all there. You know all the possibilities. No one's going to surprise you with something that you didn't think of because it's all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bridge is a partner partnership game, so you you play with a partner, and that makes it very different because you have to consider what the other person is trying to tell you from the way they play as well. But some of the things are similar. For example, when when someone comes up with you know the concept of tempo in bridge, when people will be like, "Oh, you lose tempo if you play that," or like, "Oh, I already know what that means," you know, I already understand exactly what you're saying from the way you're saying it, and no one else around me understands because they weren't exposed to this term and stuff like you know, "Oh, should you play to win or play not to lose?" For example, you can also apply in bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just stuff like that, you know, um, percentage chances and hedging and when you have to make an aggressive play, when you have to make a defensive play, and trying to take inferences from what people are doing. This is all concepts that you use in Magic. It's not the exact same, but it's similar. Right. Are there, is, it a, is it a specifically skill-based game, or are there elements of luck and variance in it as well? It's extremely skill-based. Uh, so the way Bridge works, to give you a quick overview, is that teams are four people. So they'll say there's A, B, D, C, and one, two, three, four. Those are the two teams. Mm-hmm. And you play in two different tables. There's four positions, north, south, east, west. So in table one, A and B are gonna be north, south, and one and two are gonna be east, west. And in table two, three and four are gonna be north, south, and C and D are gonna be east, west. So basically the teams are gonna reverse positions. And what you do is you play, and you don't shuffle your cards. You just pass them to the other table, and they're going to play the same cards you just played. Mm-hmm. Except, you know, someone from the other team is going to have my cards. 
and someone from my team is going to have my opponent's card. So your goal is to score more points than the other team holding the exact same cards. So there's no luck in the sense that, you know, oh, I had all the aces in my hand, so I'm going to win the hand. Because when the cards go to the table, your opponent is going to have all the aces. They're going to have the exact same hand you did. Mm-hmm. So you have to do better than them with those cards. Uh, so in this regard, there's no luck. The, the only luck that exists is that you can make a bad play and be rewarded. For example, you make a play that is 20% to work. And it works because that's the lay of the cards in this particular hand. So you win. And in the other table, the team's going to make a play that is 80% to work. But it doesn't work in this particular hand. So you were rewarded for making the worst play. Right. But I think overall, it's very skill intensive. Uh, and you play a lot of boards. So the better team is almost always going to win. Right. That sounds really interesting. I've only played it not in tournaments. I played it recreationally. and uh, So it wasn't like two tables or anything like that. But... Uh, yeah, that sounds really neat. Yeah, it's the best part, <laughs> in my opinion. Right. Uh, Magic also has team-based formats, so are there things that you took from that that you were able to apply to Bridge or vice versa? Yeah, not really. Because in, in Magic, you don't really play a team game. You know, you each play your own game. It's very different. Mm. Okay. Okay. There's two AG, but at the same time, you're both making decisions together as opposed to each person making their own decisions individually, which is what bridges. You know, you can't communicate with your partner. So that part, yeah, it's very different. I don't think it's similar at all. So it sounds like you're spending quite a bit of time on this game. I mean, is it something that you see yourself doing for the foreseeable future, is playing and playing bridge? I think so. I mean, I really enjoy it. So I, there's no reason why I wouldn't, I think. I'm just wondering if it's the enjoyment that keeps you going, or you have any specific goals around the game. No, no, it's definitely the enjoyment. I have no goals. Like, obviously, I would rather be better, but it's right now. It's just for fun. I think it's something that I could conceivably do if I wanted to dedicate, but right now I don't want to dedicate as much as I would have to. Mm-hmm. So it's just for fun. It's like playing League of Legends, let's say. Yeah. What about for Magic? I mean. Do you have any goals for for Magic as far as maybe what needs to happen in the next year or even what needs to happen five years from now for you? Well, there are two main goals. I think the the first goal is always to be able to play Magic professionally, which usually means hitting Platinum. I don't know what's going to happen to organized play in the future, but the goal is getting to a point where I can go to the tournaments and play Magic for a living, and I can still do all the things that I want to do that I don't, I don't have to think, you know, oh, I can't do this because I don't have enough money, mm-hmm. you know? And this is the point I'm at right now. I can do basically everything that I want to, and I can fund myself going to those tournaments. So I'm self-sufficient, let's say. That, that is the goal, that I don't have to pay to play Magic, that it pays for itself and for everything that I want to do. Okay. Um, the secondary goal would be to win Worlds, which is the one thing that I've never done in Magic. Uh, you know, I've won a PT which back then was actually harder than winning worlds, but no one knows that. Like, so if I talk to my uncle and I say I want a PT, that means nothing to him. But if <laughs> I tell him I'm the world champion, that means so much. And this is what I want. You know, I, I want to be able to say I'm the world champion. Right. And I've never been able to say that. I mean, you know, to my classmates, in my resume. 
it, it, it's like being able to tell people outside of the game something, right? Yeah, because, you know, right now, my, my family, my close family knows, but say my, my semi-close family, they don't know how good I am. Like, I tell them that I do really well in those tournaments and that I'm one of the best players, but I don't feel like they truly understand. And if I won worlds, they would, because everyone understands what world champion means. You know, they think it means you're the best in the world, which in Magic it doesn't necessarily, but uh, <laughs> You'll take I, that label. it's something. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I'm I'm as good. Say I get third or fifth, I'm as good as I would be getting first. You know, maybe I just drew a land that I needed as opposed to not drawing a land. So this is really blurry when inside the game, but outside the game, it means so much to be a world championship mm. in anything, really. Like just talking to a friend, you know, oh, I happen to be. The world championship, the world champion, sorry, the world champion in this game, they're like, wow, that's really impressive. And you tell them, I want a PT, they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. So I would, I would like that. So, Paulo, on this note, how important is it for your legacy to be known for even outside of friends and family? Like, does that mean something to you if somebody that you don't know finds out that Paulo Vitor is the world champion in Magic? Yeah, it does. Um, I don't know exactly how much it means, but it definitely means something to me. Uh, I would I would really like to be a celebrity. I think it's very unlikely to happen, but even if I win Worlds, I'm not going to be a celebrity. But, you know, I would love if a newspaper did something that, like, you know, something with me, they interview me or whatever. Something that is not magic related. That would be really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't happened. And <laughs> maybe it never will, but... You know, if someone outside of Magic recognizes me, that's the dream. Yeah. It's really interesting to me hearing you say this, just because I know there are probably about 3,000, I don't know how many thousand people in the world right now who would love to just be in your position. And yet, for you, I guess <laughs> you're still hungry for more. You, you know what I mean, right? Like, well, I guess it's maybe it's something I know, I, I do, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, re I really enjoyed, you know, being a personality in Magic. Like, it means a lot to me that I... I have a column that I write something, people read it, and people pay attention to it. Or I'm in a tournament and people ask to take pictures with me, they want my opinion, they just want to say hi, they said they're big fans. That means a lot to me, it's very important. And it would just also mean a lot if someone who doesn't play Magic would have the same thing, you know? Yeah. I think it's very unlikely to happen, but it, it would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's, not to uh, make fun, but it's, it is really interesting that you said, oh, I want to be in the newspaper or something, but in fact, the internet, I mean, you're so well-known on the internet. I mean, there are going to be much more eyeballs looking at Reddit Magic TCG and seeing your name than, than like, any newspaper, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but let's say TV then, not newspaper in a sense. Oh, okay, okay. So, the, like, the really mainstream mediums, uh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I would really like that. Okay, so while we're on this topic, I mean, what is it like to be... A magic celebrity. Like you said that you like people, you love it when people come in, you know, talk to you and you have an article, you have a column. I mean, how how crazy is it being a magic celebrity? Like, because I, I, I'm not, so I, I just want to know what it's like. <laughs> it's not that different. Uh, I mean, it's different when, you know, for example, the fact that I can write and people want to read what I have to say. That's that's very, very cool to me. And but you're also a very good writer, so I think that that's regardless oh, thank of your... you. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think it's crazy. It's... I don't know, I really like it. 
that people care about how I'm doing and they listen to what I have to say and you know they actually like me even though they don't even know me you know so, someone who's hoping that I win or even hoping that I lose but I've never met me before it's it's very different than anything else I've had in my life because you know you have a way of interacting with people that you don't personally interact with and there's I don't think many people have that you know if I think of the people I know they, they affect everyone who's immediately in touch with them but for me if I play a PT and I do well then next week there's going to be someone in Malaysia who's playing a deck that's different because of what I did mm. so I'm actually affecting people from the other side of the world that I've never met and probably never will and I think that's really cool <laughs> I know some people don't don't like that but I, I think that's really cool it makes me want to play more and do well more yeah I think it's really cool I mean even indirectly you're making someone's life more interesting more enjoyable right and there can't be anything wrong with that yeah I mean I I like it <laughs> right and what's the weirdest place that you've been recognized that you were just like surprised that someone would like came up to you and said hey you're Paulo Vitor or PV uh, at the bus once I was going to university and there's just some guy who was like oh you were PV aren't you and I'm like yeah he's like oh I'm a big fan and there were some <laughs> classmates of mine in the bus too and they were like what just happened and then, you know this person I'm like no I was like, how, how does he know you I'm like from magic you're like oh you know just just like that once I was in New York with my mom uh, and a guy just we were just on the street and that guy said hey I'm a big fan or whatever. You're like PG from Magic, right? I'm like, yeah. And that was really cool too because I was really impressed. We were just in another country outside, you know, not in a Magic scenario at all. And this guy just knew me. So I got those two things just got imprinted in my mind. I thought they were cool situations. Yeah, I mean, just by those two stories, I can tell that you are, you have reached the mainstream of <laughs> the world now. <laughs> people people are uh, recognizing you on the street. That's That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. <laughs> um, but still magic players. But right? still magic the players. They knew me from magic. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, you're not a Barack Obama or something, but but you know, it's it's very cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe soon. Right, right. Yeah, if you continue to do well. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so uh, you are the youngest person to to have reached the Hall of Fame. Can you tell me what it was like, just in terms of what went through your mind when you found out that you had entered the Hall of Fame? Um, I thought it was really cool, but I wasn't really surprised. You know, ever since they announced the Hall of Fame, or I started getting close to being eligible, I thought I was just going to get in it. So it was not something, it was not a moment. You know, it wasn't like you're in the Hall of Fame, like, oh my God, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. I was basically getting used to the idea for years before I actually went into the Hall of Fame. So it wasn't mind-blowing or anything, but it was still pretty amazing because it's something that I'm never going to lose. You know, it's just going to stay with me forever, regardless of what I do. In 30 years, maybe, you know, maybe I haven't played Magic for 20 of those years. I don't even know what Magic is anymore. I'm, I'll still be a member of the Magic Hall of Fame. And I think that's huge. There are very few things in life that, you know, you take with you forever. Like, maybe, like, you know, a university graduation or a child or something like that and the whole thing is one of those things that I could get so it was I felt very honored right so 
you felt very honored, and that wasn't too long ago, right? That was in 2012. Yeah, in Seattle. Okay. Did you feel that your reputation changed dramatically or in some way before and after you joined the Hall of Fame? I don't I don't think so. Because you know, people say, oh, he's a Hall of Famer or whatever. But before the before I was in the Hall of Fame, I already had the same results that put me in the Hall of Fame. So people already knew that I was quite good and I don't think it really changed anything. What about being able to tell your family that you're a Hall of Famer? Like, does that mean something? <laughs> I don't think they know exact. I don't think they know exactly what it means. I don't know if I even told them that, like my my near family, because it just feels so weird. It's just never something that comes up. You know, they know that I travel to all those places. Like, obviously, you know, I'm gone for months at a time. Yeah. But when I meet them, they're like, "How are you doing this tournament?" I'm like, oh, I did well, or you know, I got third, fifth, last, or whatever, and that's the, the range of the conversation. It never goes any further. Mm. So my my immediate family knows, obviously, like my uncles and my aunts or whatever. But but yeah, so I I don't know. It's, it's still not being the world champion. It's still cool, but I don't I don't think they understand exactly what it means. Right, right. And uh, switching gears a little bit, you know, we had touched on your writing a, a few times you had talked mentioned it I had mentioned it can you tell me how you started writing magic articles like what were the circumstances that that led to it uh, it was it was something about wanting to be known uh, not not very different from what I what I've always felt like uh, it was a way for me to to get known basically so I talked to the brain burst editor at the time it was brain burst today's TCG and I was like, okay, I'm this person who, you know, I'm this kid who plays magic in Brazil, and I had this good result or whatever. Do you want me? To, can I write a report for you? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I wrote it and I enjoyed it. And then people, you know, I went to tournaments the next year, and people are like, oh, do you write for this website? I'm like, yeah. So I was like, oh, so that's where I know you from. And that already made me happy. You know, people were reading what I wanted to write, and it was really cool. So I just I just started writing more and more, and I feel like writing actually helps me put into words my thought process. So generally, what I write is what I'm thinking, and I tend to think things through very, very well. Like I, I think a lot, mm -hmm. and being able to put those things into paper or into, I guess, a computer, uh, helps my thought process. It helps me understand if what I'm thinking is actually making sense. So, yeah, this, this is how I started and just kept going and going. What were some of the things that you learned over the years when you, as you're writing articles? Just, you know, being able to, I can't think of anything very specific, but for example, when I wrote about, uh, let's say, it was actually an article that I, I kind of rewrote lately. It was the Wizard's First Rule, which was about putting yourself, putting your opponent in certain situations so that they make the play you want. Uh, it made me understand that that was what I was actually doing. Because a lot of people in Magic do things, but not everyone understands why they're doing the things they do. So if you only do things, it's going to work, but you're not. when the situation changes a little bit, you're not going to be able to adapt because you don't know what changed and what has to be adapted. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've always done those things, but writing about them and you know, 
thinking about, okay, I'm going to write this, but then the person is going to ask, the reader is going to ask, how about this? I have to have an answer. So I have to think about it. And it helps me understand why I'm doing the things I do so that I can replicate them or adapt much more easily. Uh, I feel like all the strategy articles help me with that, like even writing about mulligans, for example. Uh, writing about sideboarding, writing about you know the playing not to win versus playing not to lose, or playing to win versus playing not to lose, uh, playing tempo, playing aggro, just the resources, how they interact. All those strategy articles help me become a better player, I think, because it forces me to think on why I do the things I do, so I can understand when I'm wrong and also when I should change something. So it's actually making you better, as even making you personally better through the process of reflecting and writing. I think so. Yeah, I think it definitely helps. How important is the feedback from the articles? Like, for example, when you write uh, playing to to win versus not to lose, do you ever gain any any new insight as a result of others talking to you about what you wrote? Sometimes. In a topic like that, usually not. But in a topic, for example, the Keeper Mulligan column that I do, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely I get to read other people's thoughts and and they'll be like, oh, so I think you should mulligan for this reason. Like, actually, that makes sense. You know, so I learned something. I got better. And when I write about new cards or when I write about decks in general, sometimes I will write something like, oh, you know, I don't think this card works because of ABC. Then someone else is going to reply, actually, I think it works because of D. And we're like, oh, you were right. So now this card that I thought was bad, I now think is good. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of value. It changes more depending on what kind of article it is. But Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna avoid, uh, Paulo. I'm gonna avoid talking about the Merfolk Looter thing because <laughs> it's been like all over my Facebook <laughs> feed for like weeks or months. It feels like so. I'm gonna avoid that one. But I am wondering though, what articles have you most enjoyed writing uh, over the years, personally? Or do you have any favorite articles? And if so, why? Okay. So I think. Perhaps I have a couple. Uh, one of them is the My Story article, which is an article for Star City many years ago. It was basically just uh, me telling my story of how I started to play Magic and then how I went to my first BT and what I bought at the time. Um, and it was it was very impressive because I didn't expect it to be very popular. Thought you know uh, I just don't have anything to write about this week. I'm just going to write about me. And then it turned out to be hugely popular, and people actually. You know, they, they wanted more of it, and they told me it was the best article I'd ever written. And they were like, wow, I didn't think people cared. And so I really, really liked that one. And strategy-wise, uh, there are a couple. I really like the resources one that I've written, which is about how you manage tempo, life, and cards. Um, I really like the sideboarding one, which is generally, you know, general sideboarding, general mulligans. Uh, General strategy, just you know, playing aggro, playing control, playing combo. Uh, I like this this kind of general timeless article. I'm usually not a fan of the you know here's what I won last week and what I would play this week article, mm-hmm. which is a bit awkward because it's what a lot of people want to read. But you know, I would say that my favorites are you know the big timeless strategy articles and the one about myself. Yeah, and I think I agree with you. Even though I'm producing different types of content. I always feel that the evergreen content is the one that is best because you can read it three years from now and it will still be relevant. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, exactly how I feel. Also because I think it's sorry, it's something that I'm more equipped to write than other people. You know, I like when I write an article and people think 
PV wrote that because it's, it looks like something that I, I write. But and I also like when they think PV wrote that, but no one else would have written that. Uh, when when I write about a deck that won the last won the tournament last week, anyone can do that. Like you know, you, you don't have to have some deep understanding of magic. You just write about it. You you play a little bit with the deck, and then you practice with it, and you have some general knowledge of standard or whatever, and then you write about that. But to be able to fully communicate, like you know, how to approach strategic decisions in the game of Magic, I think you have to really understand what you're doing, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think many people do. So it's the kind of article that I feel like, oh wow, I wrote this article, and I don't know anyone who would have written a better article, like in this particular topic, you know, mm-hmm. because just I, I never see it. Whereas when I write an article about the deck that won last week, I think, well, anyone would have written that. Right. I think that's really important, and I think that's why recently the articles you, you put out, like uh, about the inducing bluffs or uh, making the right plays and around that, I really, really enjoyed it, and I really felt like it had your unique voice. Like, I, f- I did feel like, okay, no one, that was PB's article. I didn't feel like, okay, someone else could have written that article. So I, I actually think <laughs> what you've done recently is uh, among your strongest, in, in my opinion. So. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I, I try to do, like, you know, just be a PV article. Right. I mean, that's who you are, so that's that's great. <laughs> and uh, have you ever thought about how to improve as a writer, or is it just, like, just the experience itself is, is enough? Like, I, I, I'm wondering if you have any writing-specific goals is really the question. Oh, yeah, definitely I'm trying to improve. Um... I don't have any particular goals, but I just want to get better and better at it. And a lot of it, for me, is trying to understand what people want, because usually when I write, I write what I would like to read, and most of the time it works, but sometimes you know, people just want to read something else, So, which is why a lot of the time you see me asking on Twitter and Facebook, you know, what kind of articles do people want to read, because I know that what I like is not necessarily what everyone likes. So sometimes I, I try doing something that people ask that is not necessarily what I would like to read, but you know my public is not necessarily all the same as me. Uh, and yeah, I really pay a lot of attention to, to feedback in my articles. You know, I, it's, it's actually much more important for me that people see me as a good writer than as a good player, mm. because I know my value as a player is not fluid. Like, it's, you know, I'm as good as I'm good. And if you don't think so, then the, you know I don't care, right? It's I'm either good or not. But with writing, being good at writing means that people like your articles. So feedback and people's opinions is much more important. You cannot be a good writer in a vacuum. You're only a good like if you write great articles, but no one likes them, then you're not really a great writer. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to me. Feedback is really important. So I read everything that people write about me. And I read all the comments. I read all the Reddit threads. And I'm just always trying to get better and better because, I don't know, I, I like being a good writer. I would, ideally, people like what I write, so they keep reading it. So I'm just always listening to feedback. Has there been any feedback that's really surprised you? I mean, there are some, yeah. I mean, when when people who, you know, I, I know personally and I know are in... You know, read a lot of magic and are very good when they tell me my articles are great. That's kind of surprising because I was like, what do you, 
you don't know all those things already, you know, <laughs> isn't like, why, why do you like it? Do you even read it? And they're like, yeah, I read your articles. We're like, oh, wow, that's, that's super, super impressive to me. And also the reverse, <laughs> when, when, you know, sometimes people, people are really mean in the comments, and it's like, what? You know, they take it very personally. And it's, it's surprising. I guess my biggest surprise in comments is that people take things personally. For example, when I write something like, this deck is bad, to me, I'm talking about a deck. But to some people, I'm talking about the person who built the deck. And they get personally offended. And it's something I had to deal with in my writing. I actually have to change a little bit because if you, if you say bad things about something that I played, I'm not going to be offended at all. Because to me, they're just two completely different things. But I realized that this is not actually the most common view. And if you say, you know, this deck is bad, people are going to be offended. And it's just something that I've had to adapt to a little bit. Uh, so the first few times I got this type of comment, they're like, wow, you're a jerk. I just didn't understand it. I was like, why am I a jerk? You know, this deck doesn't have feelings. <laughs> and but it actually turned out that the people who made the deck were taking it much more personally, or the people who knew the person who played the deck. So yeah, that that was surprising to me. I had to adapt to it a little bit. Okay. Have there been examples of topics that people have asked you to write about that at first you're like, uh, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing, interesting to write about, but as you wrote it, it actually ended up being pleasantly good for you. Uh, I think a lot of the topics, <laughs> actually, that I write, I mean, a lot of the time I ask people for suggestions and they give, I receive all kinds of suggestions, and most of them are just not big enough to be an article. They're like, the biggest problem is, like, A, no one would like to read it, or B, I can just answer that in a tweet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are the two biggest issues with the suggestions I get. But sometimes there's something that I feel, you know, oh, this is an interesting topic, but I don't know enough to write about it. So I don't write about it. Uh, and then uh, in a couple months, I feel like something happened. I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually a really good example for this thing that someone suggested three months ago. So I go and write an article, and it turns out being great. But I don't remember any specific situations, right? any specific articles, but it definitely does happen. Right, right. No, it sounds like it's a fair answer. It sounds like you're very, you have a, a strong point of view uh, as what you want to write about, what's good, what's not. And I think that's key because while you're listening to the feedback, I mean, in my line of work uh, in software, you also listen to customer feedback <laughs> or user feedback, but you can't just take everything at face value. So I think that's really important to be able to filter and still have your point of view despite uh, asking for feedback, you know. I, but, you know, I, I only ask that because sometimes people take that the wrong way. It's like, it's like criticize. It's like what you said about saying this deck is bad. Sometimes people are like, well, you didn't write about this, or why didn't you write about this? Like, are you, is this something about me? Or, you know, I, I think a lot of times in, in the world, people take things the, the wrong way, and it, it can be very troubling sometimes, and you just wonder what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for example, one of the suggestions I got once was write about the importance of shrines in standard. You know, shrines like Burning Rage, Shana. Yeah. You know, this. And I'm just reading that, and I think those are just not important at all. <laughs> like, how, how am I supposed to write about their importance? It would be a very short article. Right. And just stuff like that. You know, you can tell that this person is really passionate about this topic. Like, obviously, they wouldn't suggest it. And I think it was a serious suggestion. They wouldn't suggest it if they didn't think that shrines were important in standard, and people are overlooking that. 
you know, he thought they're, I think they're more important than other people think, so I want him to write about that. Right. But I actually agreed with everyone else, they're not important at all. So you just don't write about that, he doesn't reply to the person, you're like, oh, I don't think they're that important, mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah, and then online, one thing leads to another, as, you, as you're probably well aware. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very hard to gauge like tone of voice and lots of things. Um, do you have any particular writers that you're fond of that you particularly enjoy reading f uh, from and maybe learning from their writing? Uh, so yes, uh, the first writer that I was really a fan of was Zvi Moshevitz. Uh, Zvi is a guy that I used to play a lot. He, he's in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, he has like five PT top eights, but he hasn't been around lately, so people might not have, might not know him. And Zvi's articles were basically my inspiration, you know, because when I read Zvi's articles, I thought he always answered the things that I was going to ask. Mm. So to me, that was very important. I, you know, I read a paragraph and I thought, but what about this? And the next paragraph was like, you know, this. So I was like, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about because they understand what someone could not understand from what they just wrote and they explained that immediately. Um, and this is what I try to do with all my articles. You know, I, I read them and I think, I'm reading this, what am, what am I thinking? And I try to, to answer. And I see uh, in a lot of articles, you know, I read something and I think, so what? And there's no so what. You know, people just say something but they don't conclude anything from it. And Zvi always did. Every time I would think, so what? He would immediately follow with a paragraph explaining why what he just said was important. So, uh, yeah, definitely Zvi. Oh, sorry. So his, his writing, you're saying, is essentially complete. Like, it's fully developed as compar compared to articles which may raise an interesting idea but never, like, take it to the conclusion. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, and you understand why he picked a certain topic. You, know, you would read it, and he would start by telling you why you should read what he's writing and you know, tell you why he's writing that. And then you would read it, and you, yeah, it would be complete. I think that is a good way of saying it. It also makes sense. Because sometimes people just write things, and these things would make sense. <laughs> and he wrote general articles too, not just, you know, he didn't write about a specific deck, he wrote about how he thought. And which is what I try to do. So I would say he's my main inspiration. Okay. But I'm also a fan of like Patrick Chapin, for example. I think he's had some incredible articles. And he goes super in depth. Not super in depth about things, but for example, there's like, oh, a new set is up. Let's build a deck with this card. Then he will have 35 backlists with the card, like in, in every possible context that you can think of. And we're like, wow, that's really impressive. The card has been out for two days. Like I haven't even thought of one deck, and this person already has 35 decks here. You know, are they good? I don't know, but he thought of all of it. You know, he wrote a 10,000 word article on a card that's released yesterday. So I think that's super impressive. Um, I also like Louise a lot because I think Louise also understands that he's supposed to communicate what he's thinking. And I think that's really good because he's a very smart person. He thinks a lot of things, so I, I want insight in what he's actually thinking. Um, Sorry, can you just clarify that? Like, wh what do you mean by, like, Luis uh, knows that he's supposed to communicate what he thinks? Just trying to understand that. Or, for example, when I'm reading a tournament report, uh, if I read a tournament report by a random person, they'll say, and then on turn two I played Lightning Bolt, or then on turn two I didn't play Lightning Bolt. And Louise will say, on turn two, I thought I should play Lightning Bolt because of the YXZ, 
And so I played Lightning Bolt. So he communicates thought processes a lot more than just actions. Or when he writes set reviews, he was like, this card is good because of this reason. This is what I'm thinking. You know, and you can really see his thought process because he communicates everything. And I think that's really important. So you're saying that he doesn't try to shortcut it. Maybe like other writers may like just assume that the reader understands something and... Not necessarily that. Uh, it's just that he knows why he's thinking the thing he's thinking. So he can replicate the process in writing. And a lot of people don't know. Oh, I see. I so see. A, lot, a lot of people don't know why they, they played that forest turn two. Like they didn't even think about it. But he knows and he remembers. And then he'll write about it and he'll tell you why he played that forest in turn two. And no one else would, because for other people, it just wasn't a very interesting moment. But for him, it was interesting because he, had, he thought something. So he, he told you what he thought. Got it. Got it. And that's something that you try to apply to your writing as well, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you listed some great names like Zvi, uh, Patrick, and Luis. Um, are those the main guys that are your inspirations or influences? I think so. Then you also have people like, for example, Mark Rosewater, who's like insanely good at what he does and also very good at writing. So even though it's a topic I'm not as passionate about, I really enjoy reading his articles because they just, they make things interesting. And I think it's the same thing. Like Mara, he, he will tell you thought processes. People like, we, we created this mechanic because we thought this, as opposed to just we created this mechanic. And I like reading what people think. I like reading thought processes. Mm-hmm. And this is true in basically anything. Like sometimes I'll read, you know, a League of Legends article, and I'll be like, uh, "Oh, the, you should take." I don't know if you're familiar with League of Legends, but you should take armor pens as opposed to damage pens because X. And then I'll be thinking in my head, "But okay, X is true, but what about Y? What about Z?" And then you won't. Darko won't address it. And some people will be like. I'll think about what about Z, and that would be the next paragraph. So those people actually thought about everything, and they're communicating everything in writing, as opposed to people who just thought about one thing and looked out that it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And you just made me think about something that Ben Freeman told me uh, the other day. He was saying that like the best advice he would give to players uh, is think for yourselves. Like, don't just do something because someone said like this is the card you should take or this is what you should do, like you should pick this card over this card in a draft. Like always have your own point of view and develop it through your own confirmation. I think what you said kind of builds on that because I think it also is a fact that a lot of article writers, I'm not saying you or the the one the guys you've listed, they don't necessarily, a lot of people out there don't necessarily say why and so people just kind of latch on to like this card is the best card in this format in a vacuum and they don't think about things and if people understood the thought process behind why people said certain things, and if writers did that more, I think the overall magic skill level would improve. This is just my rant. I, I know I've gone on off a rant here, <laughs> but I, I, I honestly feel that, and I felt that now just talking to you about, like, explaining your thought process, you know? No, I definitely agree with you, because I feel like if someone just tells you something and you don't understand why, you cannot adapt it. Like, for example, if I do keep or mulligany, and then I just say keep, then, you know, when are you going to ever get that hand again? Like, it's, you know, it's going to be slightly different. Yeah. And then you have to know why I kept, 
because then you can see if what's slightly different changes anything. So if you don't understand why, you can replicate, but you cannot adapt. And I feel like in Magic, you never get the exact same situation. You know, it's never the exact same metagame, the exact same draw, the exact same opponent. So you need to be able to adapt rather than replicate. And if you don't understand why, you can't. And uh, changing gears again slightly, I wanted to ask, like, you obviously have played in the Pro Tour competitively. You ha you've made a lot of friends and um, just a lot of people over the years. Are there particular people in the Magic community that you would be proud to call like your closest friends? Um, and if so, who, who are they? Yeah, there are. I mean, there are people I've been close friends with. I'm not as close anymore. Uh, I would say that, you know, the, the Brazilian crew, like uh, Vili, for example, he's a very good friend. Even if he never played Magic, you know, we'd still talk. Uh, Bolovo, Thiago Saporito. Uh, probably the same thing. You know, there are people who are they're involved in my personal life. Mm -hmm. Like you know, I know their, I know Villa's wife. I know his kid. You know, we've we've been through things together. They're not just inside of Magic. So he's a really good friend. Uh, same for some other Brazilian kids that you probably don't know, like Thiago. You probably know. Uh, internationally, uh, yeah, I, I think for example, Luis. He's someone whom I'm involved with in, on a personal level, not just on a magic level. If I never played magic, I'd still talk to Luis. He's my good friend. Uh, a lot of the CFB crew, from when I tested, like Josh, related Matt Naz, uh, there's people I still talk to from time to time, even if we're not involved in any, any magic thing. Uh, the new people from, people from my new team, face-to-face, -face, like Hayne, John Stern, um, Andre, those are all people who I, I would consider my friends, like Jacob, Sam Barty. Uh, all people I, I'd consider my friends, even outside of Magic. Okay. And taking someone specifically here, what's Luis like? I've had some interactions with him, <laughs> but I've never really gotten to know him as a really good friend. So I know that I'm not trying to get into your shoes or anything like that, but I, I would like to know, like, what's Luis like as a human being? Like, what is it like? What, who's, what's he like? <laughs> I think it's very similar to what you would expect. He's a great person. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's very smart. And I generally like smart people. Uh, so he's, he's funny because, you know, most of the time when he says things that people think are funny, I think they're just idiotic. But it's like, why are you laughing at this? It's just, you know, they just use the word to mean something else. It's like so, so, so stupid. But a lot of the things he says, you know, are are smart funny, which is my kind of funny, you know, not uh, not necessarily you know comedy movie funny, mm -hmm. but sophisticated funny or whatever. He, he says things that are smart and funny, so I think I think that's really cool, uh, and I think he cares a lot about a lot of things. You know, he's someone you can talk to. He's very approachable. Um, a lot of people. We'll, a lot of the Magic players, not a lot, but some of the Magic players will actually like talking and they'll talk to you because, you know, they're supposed to. But Luis Legimi likes talking to people, he likes meeting people, he... So I think that's a really, a really good side of him. Yeah, overall I think he's, he's a great person, a great friend. He's not much different than what you would think just by listening to him. Like, what, what do you see if you watch his stream, for example, this is basically what you get when you're talking to him outside of his stream or when he commentates, it's, it's basically what you get. Right. So he, he... Okay, so what you see is what you get. Got it. Yeah, I would say his, I would say so.
Yeah, and I also enjoy his dry humor. I feel like it's uh, maybe intellectual is not the right word, but it it it's not the easy laugh. Um, <laughs> so I, that that part I enjoy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he does have have some of the, the easy laugh with the puns and whatnot, and people love it. Yeah, and I I, don't, I personally don't get it, but <laughs> I, the he also has the hard laugh part. Right. If you stop playing magic tomorrow, would you still? How do you think your relationship changes with Louise and some of the other uh, names you mentioned? I mean, it's going to change a little bit. It, it depends on what I, you know, if I stop playing, but I still understand what's going on, then we can still talk about magic, and it's probably not going to change much. But if let's say, you know, I I, I forget that magic ever existed or whatever. Uh, I think we'll still be friends. I mean, I wouldn't see those people as much. That's the big difference, right? I see Louise like 10 times a year, which for someone who lives in the United States is a lot. Um, and maybe I would see him once or zero times in that year if I didn't play Magic. That would be the main change. But how I felt about those people probably wouldn't change. Right, right. Like, I, I you know, I talk about, you know, personal things or whatever. I'll talk to Tiago about you know, personal issues or things that we like to do or whatever. And then right now, for example, we're going to the PT in Australia. There's actually a group of us. It's uh, Andre, Jacob, and and Shahar. We're going to New Zealand for a week to sightsee. And, you know, we don't have to do that. It's not related to magic in any way. We just, we're just friends. So we're going to go and we're going to have fun. And I don't see why I still wouldn't be able to do that, except that, I would have to actually travel all the way to New Zealand as opposed to being in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the community is uh, for magic is amazing, as you as you and I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think? How do you think the game of magic will evolve? And if so, in what direction? I mean, everybody has an opinion, but you are PV, so I want to ask for <laughs> for your opinion <laughs> on how magic will will evolve and in. And if so, how? Uh, I don't know in what way. What I mean is like the uh, let, there's multiple components in my question. Let's start with like the fundamental game itself because there's always this talk about the game going in this sort of like more digital direction, and you know there's other games out there that y you're well aware of that can do online play <laughs> much better. And so one part of it is like my question is how do the how do you think the actual mechanics of the game and how people play it will change over the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to change much. I mean, if, if we talk about the near future, I don't think it's going to change much. Magic is still a card game. Like, it's not going to become a digital game. Like, the digital platform is just another way for you to play the card game, but it's still a card game, and I think it's going to remain a card game for a very long time. Uh, you know, maybe in a far future where we have holograms and we move things in space with our hands or whatever, the technology is going to be, then maybe something is going to change drastically. But, uh, like, I, I think for the next 10 years, let's say, as they're still going to be printing magic cards. Got it. Got it. And how do you think organized play or the way that tournaments are structured will change in the next few years? Mm, that I don't know. Like, if you ask me how it's going to change in the next month, I wouldn't be able to answer <laughs> because they're going to. They actually had a big change that they took back, and they're supposed to be talking to some players about it, and they're going to, you know, give the new. They're going to present us with the new organized play in CD. 
So it's pretty much up in the air right now. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I think the core of it is going to remain the same, that they want you to be able to be a professional Magic player. They want professional Magic players to exist. So they're still going to have PTs. They're still going to have worlds. Uh, they might change the details of it or the specifics, but the general idea, I think, is going to remain. Other than that, I don't really know. Okay. So you're kind of... Uh... Based on what you said, can I assume that you're not part of those discussions? Correct. I am not. Okay. Uh, but while we're on the topic of like organized play and wizards, I have heard from... This is actually funny, because this is one of these things where it's one of my listeners asked me to ask you, which is sort of like you asking for feedback on what to do, <laughs> what to write in an article. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Um, my question is, can you briefly talk about what happened when you were when you volunteered to essentially commentate on in Wizards events like what happened there and why did they not let you get up there on the booth like do you have any thoughts around that and maybe first just describe the circumstances around it so that people are not speculating online but but and then talk about like what happened I mean it's it's not necessarily one specific situation it's basically that I really enjoy doing coverage and I would really like to do it more and I've told them plenty of times already that you know I'm available if that's the kind of thing they're interested in but and I've basically never done it for WotC I've done it a couple of times for CFP and that's it but for WotC never and I think there can be many reasons like I think you know one of the reasons is that they have a lot of people who could do what I do. Like, they have, there are a lot of players who want to do it, so they don't necessarily have spots for everybody, they have to pick some. And they didn't pick me, which I think is fair. Uh, it could also be because, you know, I'm not a native English speaker, and when you're having something as important as, say, the PT, then you can't take, you can't, you can't take a risk that people won't be able to understand me. Uh, it can also be because I'm just, very critical to magic a lot of the time and they don't want me saying bad things about you know magical line when I'm representing their brand and which are all things that I think you know are, are fair in their own way so I I don't know <laughs> I, I don't have a specific reason for you for why it happened probably a combination of those things but yeah the basic idea of it is that I wanted to do coverage and I said I want to do this do you want me to do it and I said no so that's it so they just told you no, they didn't give any specifics? I mean, they, they'll tell you, you know, oh, we already have people doing that, where there's no room, or whatever, but in the end, that's basically a no. Like, obviously, if they wanted to have you, they would make room for you, you know? Right, so what, what makes you want to do coverage? That's the one, that's really my key question, is not really what they ended up saying, but... Like, what's your motivation behind that? I, I'm really curious with... This is a question for myself. Like, what? The, <laughs> well, why do you want to do coverage? <laughs> uh, there's no pressure to do well. Like, obviously you want to do well because you're doing a job, but it's different than magic. You know, there's there's no luck. There's no... You, your mood is not going to depend on how well you do. And sometimes... I just want to not have any pressure on. You know, I, I want to go to a tournament and meet my friends and, you know, talk about magic. But I don't want to care so much about how I do. I don't want to have to choose a deck. For example, choosing a constructed deck for an important tournament is a excruciating process for me. Because if I don't find something I like, I feel awful. And if I'm doing commentary, there's none of that. You know, it's just 
it's very light in comparison to actually playing the tournament, but I can still be involved. So this, this would be my main motivation, would be being involved with Magic without having the pressure to perform constantly. This is what coverage is to me. Mm. So could you see that as potentially something in the future that gives you the freedom you want and allows you to still be involved in Magic? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something that I would probably like to do. I would still probably like to play from time to time because, you know, all the things that I'm thinking that I can talk to about on coverage, they only happen because I play. And if I was resilient to stop playing, then I would probably be a much worse uh, commentator. And and I think it would be just less rewarding in general. But yeah, I, w I would, I could see doing it. Like, in theory, I could see myself doing commentary ADPT instead of playing it for specific situations. Like in Sydney, I don't have to do well in Sydney, I'm already locked for Platinum and very likely locked for Worlds. So this is one tournament where I would be able to do commentary if I wanted. And I can see myself doing that in the future if they, they want me. Right. There are so many things I want to ask you about that, but I'm going to end with one final question for you. If you Let's say that there was a young player who is playing Magic competitively for the first time. He or she wants to be start playing competitively and get good at it. What advice would you give him or her? Uh, there is no perfect way to just get better, but I think the best thing you can do is compete. Because a lot of the time, people don't want to go to a tournament if they don't feel they're good enough. And they're like, oh, I'll just play side events, or I'm not going to attend because I'm just going to lose. Uh, and I, I don't think that's the right approach if you want to get better. If you want to get better, you have to compete. And, you know, even if you're going to lose, you know, who cares? It's playing a tournament, playing a GP and going three, four or seven rounds is probably going to make you a better player than just practicing with your friend for a week or for a month even because it sticks to you in, it puts you in contact with other good players and you can see other things that are not around you. And I really think that's the most important thing. So don't, don't be afraid that you aren't good enough. Even if you aren't, like it doesn't matter. The, playing in those tournaments is how you get good enough. That's it, <laughs> basically. Just having the practice and no fear and wanting to get better. Right? Yeah. Yeah, just putting yourself out there, you know? Just compete. Don't, don't just practice because when you compete, you see, you get, you get rewarded for learning things. You can see the reward. So it makes you want to learn more. Absolutely. So, Paulo, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I learned so much from you today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation <laughs> as much as I did. I did, I did. It was very, very different as far as interviews go. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for your time, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Humans of Magic. I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.